One-of-a-kind shades made to order by Vaporshades.com. Vaporshades designs the outer layer of the sunglasses just like a wrap on a car. They customize your sunglasses, marbling the paint. The end result is no two pair of sunglasses are alike. Yours will be completely unique to you. Check us out at Vaporshades.com. Use promo code TUTTLE for 15% off your entire order. Get ready for your daily dose of Tuttle. Uh, the all-time greatest uh, intern slash producer we've ever had, of course, Tuttle. Tuttle in Florida. From the Vapor Shades Hobo Fish Camp, it's the Tuttle Daily Podcast. Hey, Patrick. Nice cock. They want to see me do my dance in these thousand dollar pants. Don't disrespect me and my mans. Baby, whole life chops on your ass. Welcome back to another edition of the Tuttle Daily Podcast. I'm really excited about this next guest that I'm having on because I've, I've always talked about how I consider myself an Anglophile. I, I really am an Anglophile. I love everything when it comes to the British culture. One of my favorite shows of all time is Doctor Who. I love it. A lot of people make fun of me for that, but you know what? God damn it. It's a great show. I love it. So, oh, oh see, do I, do I see it in the background? Oh, you're a Transformer guy. Jack Bowman is on with me right now. Is it Bowman? Bowman uh, I want to make right, sure yes. I pronounce it. That's Bowman, So, yes, Jack, so, like, is it kind of reversed? Because a lot of Americans are hardcore into Doctor Who, but I see the Transformers in the background there. I see you have an Optimus Prime, it looks like, right there. Mm-hmm, um, yeah. Are the Brits into American culture just like uh, uh, Americans are into British culture? Uh, yeah, no, we, we, we love our American imports. So, you know, uh, I, I mean, I, I grew up on Transformers. I'm a hardcore G1er, but I was I was trying to point out that there is a TARDIS. Oh, I a TARDIS. Yes. A TARDIS, yes. And what you probably can't make out here is my pension scheme. That is the Doctor Who DVD Blu-ray collections, which I, I double oh, up. Oh, my Because God. they sell out like that. So I buy two of each. Now, let me ask you before we get into everything, because I want to be able to promote all the stuff you've got going on. But uh, Doctor Who, I I haven't watched a lot of the older stuff. I mean, when it comes to the new series that started, um, who is your favorite doctor starting from the ninth? Uh, Nine. You like the ninth? I I love Eccleston. I I think it was... uh, I think it was a tragedy that uh, he he never carried on. But it literally, uh, they just announced Christopher Eccleston is coming back to the role to do the Doctor Who audios. Oh, he, he is. And my 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 partner, she is not a huge Doctor Who fan. She doesn't get it. She very, you know, she doesn't understand it. But she likes Christopher Eccleston. And literally, she came home finding me cheering that Sunday afternoon, having a glass of wine, going, "Number nine is coming back." So uh, yeah. <laughs> Now, I, I is love- he just doing the audio? Is he just doing the audio stuff? Or is he, because mm. I, I read he was doing the audio stuff, but he's not doing any of the video. No, not not yet. He ca- apparently he came very, very close to coming back for the 50th. But uh, yeah, to, for him to be stepping back into doing Big Finish, I think is a is a massive win. And I, and I love those audio dramas. Audio drama, as we will discuss, is part of my DNA. But you and- do, you you do a lot of those though with your writing though right a lot of these audio books and audio recreations correct that's correct yeah i've been doing that now for 15 years i'm one of the it turns out i've recently discovered i'm one of the earliest audio scripted podcast veterans in the world and i never knew that 
until recently. Wow. So now, so so so, what you're saying is you got in on early on in the game. Uh, you know, it's it's one thing to do an audio recreation of a book and uh, from a book on tape. Can you explain how that works? Like, you know, there's one thing to do a recreation of somebody just reading the text, but then you have like a, a recreation of the dramatic performance without video. Yes. Yeah, so uh, I, I'm in now in a line, what you'd probably call audio movies, but with an audio book, it would just be one narrator, someone like, like the brilliant R.C. Bray, who we work with on Expeditionary Force. They sit in their booth, they read the text, and what they're doing is they're, they're telling the story, they, they enact the characters, but it's all done by one performer. Um, what we've been doing for about 15 years now, it's not new, but it was just an evolution of what like the BBC have been doing for 90 odd years, which is basically multicast uh, audio storytelling. So have uh, the, the scripts are very specifically written to tell the story. Originally, it would have been more like theater, like stage theater would have been. Yeah. And that's why if you listen to uh, a lot of um, you know, classic BBC drama. It does sound like stage theatre. Doctor Who. Yes. Do- Doctor Who does a lot of their recreations when it comes to it. And that's, you know, you don't see a lot of that here in America. You see a lot more of that in the United Kingdom, in mm-hmm. my opinion, where they're doing dramatic versions of books. Now, explain to me, because, you know, you have you have movies that are adapted from books and they I, now I could be wrong screenplays and stuff how do you go how what is the difference between a book and an audio type recreation of that like what what goes into the what goes into it if I if I could ask uh, so you, do you mean like if uh, say I was to take War of the Worlds and turn it into well, a I mean you have the or? book yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So you have the book and you're reading it, but that is different between when you have other casts of characters hmm. acting it out. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah, for sure. So what you would be, if, you, if you're looking at that, and we have done a version of Water Worlds uh, called Dead London, which I think you can hear on Audio Boom. Um, what we were doing there is basically saying, right, we've got the classic book. And what we're going to do here is, you know, we look, you, you take the storyline, you, you know what's happening because it's all laid out for you. But what you're then having to do is like put it up in its feet. You're pulling it apart. You're turning the prose. You're discarding quite a lot of that, but you need to keep the essence of it. And then you have to bore down on the dialogue and the action and keeping things moving around um, and keeping the pace and the story going. In a book, you can beautifully lose yourself in the words. Like, you know, you could read an Agatha. Christie and quite possibly enjoy a half page description of his moustache uh, when it comes to audio that's not going to translate and that might be a comment as, as simple as you, you take all that beautiful prose and condense it down to one line where the character says what an extraordinary moustache that man has and you, you're basically using words to sell visuals and what you're trying to do uh, my, my US production partner Fred Greenhouse has a, a wonderful expression for this you're trying to create the theatre of the mind so what you're trying to evoke is in is a very unique imagination in your head when we tell stories in that way. Yeah, no, I mean when I when I first started in radio, you know, because I think radio at some times is harder to do than television because not only are you having to talk to them, you're having to paint that picture 
in somebody's head. And, and one of the first radio hosts I worked for told me, it was like, you have to imagine that the radio, the airwaves is your canvas, okay? Mm. And you're having to paint that picture visually and audio, audioly to people to be able to get the full experience. So you're having to, you're having to almost think two dimensionally when you're, when you're, when you're writing and you're talking audioly because you got, you want people to see you what you're talking about. Absolutely. And then I think the next important thing there, I mean, I always use actually the description of like uh, the, the levels of making an audio drama or like type of painting you want to make. Is it an oil canvas or a watercolor with fine details? Abstract. Or a- or, or is it a paint by numbers, you know, because <laughs> a few people do do it that way. And, that, you know, they're all valid for the story you want to tell. Um, but I think the other part of the genius is that uh, when it comes to the, the audio drama side is that we're always looking at how we're hourly telling that story. And those brushstrokes, those fine little little markers are sometimes just the choices of sound views uh, that can be used. So. Um, you start you start with the two-dimensional canvas for sure but what you really want to uh, drill down on when you're you know you're choosing your sound effects or um you know you're picking what your ambience is or you know is there an animal in the scene is is they had that three-dimensionality you know mm. we've all seen some extra you must have seen some extraordinary paintings where it almost looks like a photograph where you can actually yeah. perceive depth in it and i think that's the challenge with um you know audiobook is like your 2d let's call that uh, you know, just you know, just telling the story, picking some accents as a single narrator. When you start to drive into audio drama, it's like you have to tell the story with sound. The dialogue is part of that soundscape. The uh, you know the the choice of spot effects, what goes on in any scene, is part of that. The ambience is part of that, and you're painting in all these layers um, to to create a listening experience. And what I'm really excited about, I think, the changes happened in the last fifteen years is that you know uh the difference we now we're now starting to understand the difference between uh like radio drama and a podcast drama and a story i always tell is that uh, if you if you work at the bbc there's one email there's one letter you always want to get to the uh, to the uh, comments department which is someone says i'm on the way to the convenience store i'm in a hurry i had to get there by eight o'clock i, I turned on the radio i listened to this play and i missed going to the convenience store because I was so immersed. Yeah. I, I, I just couldn't stop listening. And the beauty of it is now we're now, I think, starting to learn that uh, like any podcast, whether it's nonfiction or fiction scripted or, you know, conversational like this, is every one of your listeners who chooses to listen to this podcast right now wants this experience to be that immersive. They don't want it to be a piece of wallpaper or noise that catches their ear. They're actually challenging you to tell a really, really good, engaging narrative or story. And, you know, this, this is what I'm very excited about now, that the, the market's starting to change. It's starting to acknowledge that audio scripted fiction is a thing. The Writers Guild of, Great, uh, Writers Guild of America have just started to come on board to uh, protect creatives in this field, which is amazing. So there's, there's all these little moves going on, and we're learning that it's a beautifully immersive and engaging and personal form of storytelling. And uh, it's taken us about 15 years to get there, but it's, 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 a, it's a brilliant time. 
Guys, I'm talking to Jack Bowman right now. If you want to check out his material, go to his website, jackbowman.net. Now, Jack, tell people a little bit about some of the projects you've done. Where can they find you? Are you on social media anywhere? How can they interact with you if they have any questions? Sure. So uh, if you want to find me, I'm on Twitter. That's uh, uh, at Real Jack Bowman. Um, I've just launched a new uh, audio fiction label called Audio Marvels, which is available at audiomarvels.com. Uh, you can you can email me through my website. I'm always up for a conversation. Anyone who wants to know about this, uh, about the subject of audio, uh, scripted audio fiction or what to do in the field, uh, I'm more than happy there. But just to give you a precis of where I am now and where I came from. So, by the way, I I, I just gave you a follow. I, I just followed at Real Jack Bowman. Um, and I don't mean to cut you off. I'm looking no, here. Oh God, man! Manchester was up one nothing, but now they're tied one one. So that's kind of heartbreaking for me. Sorry, Arsenal fan. Um, so. Oh, see, you're from London, so I. Oh, see, don't even get me started. My producer is an Arsenal fan, and I got to tell you, uh, I see Arsenal going in the right direction right now. Um, their manager, very young, played for the team just like um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer right now for Manchester United. And, and I like it. I like the new generation of leaders coming into the sport. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a well, I mean, you know, now we finally got football back, but uh, uh, or soccer, I should say. But um, yeah, so just. Uh, I didn't mean to no, no, it's fine. It's okay. Uh, just uh, like a little, little sort of bio, because this will tell you where my work is. So, uh, fifteen years ago, I was what I called a, a moderately unsuccessful actor. Uh, I got, I got enough jobs to give me hope, but never enough to pay the, the pay. Were the you doing pantomimes or like a lot of people? Um, I had to explain to my mom the other day because we just got uh, uh, caught on to the Great British Bake Off show. And um, um, Lottie, the female, she, uh, I was doing some research. She is a pantomime director. Like, did you ever do any stuff like that? My first acting job was a pantomime tour around the Midlands of England. Uh, now, what playing... is the difference? Can you can you explain, or is it just a fancy word for Broadway? Oh, no, 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 not at all. Um, it was literally uh, we were touring the working men's social clubs of uh, around the Chester area of um, of England. So basically, we go in with this little portable portable pantomime, three panels. I put in a costume. I played King Rat, and genuinely, I got beaten up by all the kids after I came off stage because you had to go through the audience. One kid actually punched me in my stomach because he thought uh. it was that mean to Dick Whittington. Um, and that was it. That was the last time I ever did Panto. Not for want of trying yeah. though. So um, yeah, I never got another All right, panto. I didn't mean to get you, I didn't mean to get you off track. So, <laughs> so okay. back to what we were saying. So everybody wants to be able to check out your stuff, jackmoman.net. You mm -hmm. gave out uh, at real Jack Bowman on Twitter as well too. But let's go back about how you got started into writing. So, yeah, I, I'd been sort of muddling along as an actor for a little bit. And it, someone said to me, why don't you write a play and put yourself in it? And I went, OK, cool. So I did. I spent 18 months writing a play and we put it on in Camden in North London at the Etc. Theatre for three weeks. And it did, it did pretty well. Not bad. Uh, and what happened was people were more impressed with my writing than my acting. And about the same time, because my day job had been working at the uh, London Dungeon 
and there was a like a really amazing actors company there there were some really phenomenal phenomenally talented people who uh, have since gone on to bigger things like Matt Berry who won a BAFTA and uh, Ben Whitehead who's taken over from Peter Sellers so there was like a lot of frustrated talent all within the pool of the London Dungeon and there was um, uh, an actress there called Marielle Runnaker Temple and she had this idea of basically uh, getting all these actors together and saying, well, why don't we just like record our own radio plays and put them on the internet? So she came to see my play and that was the first thing she ever did through her production company, which is Wireless Theatre, now called Wireless Theatre Limited. Um, so we, we adapted the stage play, we put it on and six months later, the website had picked up enough traction for some really big British actors. People like um, Timothy West and Prunella Scales were actually requesting the plays be written for them. So Marion picked up the phone and said, well, you know, uh, Frozen, which is the play I wrote, had done really well. Um, could I write another one? Which I did. That was called Season. So that went to two of the biggest theatre actors in the UK, which was just amazing. Um, and then uh, like all these very strange things started happening at the same time. I had a really terrible experience uh, in the Edinburgh, uh, Edinburgh Fringe on the play, and I just walked out of it going, uh, not out of the play, but I just walked out of the experience going, I, I think I could direct a play better than that. Um, and then like three weeks later, a script came through my door and it was an audio script, and it said, okay, there you go, got one night, record it. So I went off, I had to learn how to cast, I had to learn how to direct, and then had to learn how to handle post-production and, and sound design with the sound designer. And then it sort of just, uh, it just sort of grew from there. Before I know it, we were, uh, we had a, we had a hit podcast series called Spring Hill to Saga, which that hit 50 countries worldwide. It has been downloaded all over the globe. But back then, the I always joked that the podcast, in, uh, the podcast market was a lot smaller. So there were 10 podcast listeners in the world and we got eight of them. Um, so, uh, yeah. And th so that, you know, that was, that was kind of like, uh, you know, the Spring Hill saga, like, you know, got all the, you know, actually got more love in the U S than anywhere else in the world. Like the America kept throwing awards at it. It was like, okay, this is cool. Um, so after about 10 years of uh, sort of being in the indie audio sector, um, I got moved over to working with Audible UK. And you can hear some of my content if you're an Audible subscriber. So I produced Murder on the Orient Express. That's got Tom Conti and oh. Sophie Oppenheimer in it. It's, it's that a hard story? Like when somebody hands you a story like Murder on the Orient Express, is it kind of like, wow, this is a well-known story? Is that a lot of pressure to be able to give it your own like spin, your own vision? Well, I, I was very lucky because I, I came into it quite late in the game. And basically, when, you, when you're dealing with uh, someone like the Agatha Christie estate and Audible, they're pretty much like working out editorial control between them. So all you have to do basically is facilitate a really good production, make sure the cast are happy and delivering. So a lot, a lot, a lot of the hard work had been uh, done in advance. But yes, it can be because moving on further down the line, um, I spent just after I did two years with Audible UK, I spent and still do occasionally work with Dagaz Media, who are based in Maine, up in South Portland. Um, and they asked me to work on a piece called Expeditionary Force Homefront. Which is part, um, which was designed to be what they called a transmedia audio drama 
I don't know. Have you? I don't know if you've read any of the Expeditionary Force uh, books. A little bit. I've heard of it, but I haven't gone into detail now. Well, so uh, yeah, that was <laughs> that was six months of solidly listening to uh, R.C. Bray's voice for research. God, I love his voice, but he he did haunt my dreams. Um, but the plan was basically they had a gap between book seven and book eight, and they wanted to drop uh, an audio drama that linked between the two books, and that was a hell of a lot of pressure because first of all, an incredibly intense fan base. Uh, which about 40% to this day still hate me uh, or still hate Homefront. Uh, the other 60%, they're lovely and gorgeous. Um, then you're dealing with a creator who has a very, very particular vision and a very particular continuity. And he's very, you know, he was very protective about future plot points. So he wasn't necessarily um, getting that sometimes we needed a bit more information about where to you know sort of park the ending of the piece if that makes sense um so yeah there was a there was a lot a lot of pressure on that one but um you know we we worked through it and we kept making it work we you know just we're having to come back keep it faithful make sure like also it's the first time a lot of these parts have been cast as opposed to read if you talk about the difference so the readers had particular ideas about how they would hear the voices versus the the actors that the, the production team cast um, that that was that was a very very hard slog, but um, it was very very gratifying when you know the cast got to got to Maine. I was brought over as a guest along with my family. Uh, I tell you what, it's the first time ever as a writer I've been given a car um, <laughs> to to, yeah. to get around, and you know like uh, the cast was so like there's something about American actors. I want to say they're so gracious for your work as a writer. They would pull me to one side and they would thank me for the work, or they they'd be, they they would they'd be scared to like uh, not scared, but they'd be so respectful they wouldn't want to change lines without my permission. No, I'm, I'm no, just like, no. And, I, and I'm a British writer, and we're just used to everyone pulling our scripts apart. So I'm just like, yeah, whatever, mate. Um, but yeah, no, that that one that one turned out all right. And it ended up being a New York Times bestseller, so I get, wow. to, I get to put that on my CV. So. That, that's, that's amazing. So I want to get into a little bit about like, cause I want to take advantage of the opportunity of somebody talking to somebody from a different country. Sure. Um, how, how are things going right now? Because everything that I've been reading is, is that uh, the United Kingdom, especially Europe right now is having a resurgence in the COVID-19 and, and the coronavirus. Um, can you give me a little bit of an inside like look on, on how things are right now, especially in London, as populated as that area is? And I know you're not right in London, but you're north of it. Um, how, how, how have you thought has the country dealt with this? Um, and, and how are the citizens dealing with it as well too how are they handling yeah it's it's a bit of a mixed bag i mean i think there was a lot of uh there was a good sense of national unity at the start um you know we we, we're not politically as a country in the best time right now we're very very polarized uh you know uh, i joked so are we by the way so are we. We've never been as divided as we are right now. Now, so we have Republicans and Democrats here. I think you guys have the Commons and what is the other? I, I, I forget. We, we have the Conservative Party at the minute as the ruling majority. Yeah. We won the last election. Uh, Labour as the opposition. We have the Liberal okay. Democrats. 
uh, we have the Green Party, the Scottish Nationalist Party, DUP, uh, and various other representatives uh, from Wales and Northern Ireland. See, um, I love Wales. I would go to Cardiff. Cardiff was one of my best places. But the only reason I went to Cardiff was to tour all the places they shot Doctor Who. Who? Yes, yes, I did exactly the same thing. As a, I, I went up for an audition back in my acting days to Cardiff, and it was a little guilty pleasure because I like go. That's where they crashed Martha's car, and. <laughs> Or you go to the dock, you go to the dock, or you go to the um, what is it? Um, the place where you know, uh, Torchwood is under right there, that that little bronze like museum, and you got those pillars and everything there. And Yanto Yanto Shrine is still there. People still leave flowers yep. for Yanto, bless him. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, so it's a it's a bit of a strange time, and uh, you know, it's uh, I, I, I slightly worry right now that there was a lot of goodwill at the start of all of this, despite whatever divisions we had uh, in the it's last, last three apart. years, and it's starting to fray fray a little bit. But um, it you is know, here too. But, you know, I, I, I still, you know, I haven't been into London more than twice since March because uh, I have to commute in. So I'm kind of just, you know, I, I won't leave my flat unless I have to. You know, I'm, I'm always out there, you know, respecting other people's space and health. And, um, you know, it's not a lot you can do beyond, uh, you know, trying trying to do your, trying to do your civic duty and, um, you know, keep, keep other people safe. So, uh, and unfortunately, there are those that quite blatantly, you know, don't believe it's a thing or don't believe COVID is a serious thing. I actually got COVID. Oh, you did? I did. And I got what they called the, the moderate level. So uh, that's actually more than you know, just, just short of severe. And it was 25 days of hell followed by three um, months of illness. And I, I, I you know, I, I so you got pneumonia then. So you got pneumonia then. No, I wasn't that bad, but I, I, st- I, I kind of, I kind of play it down a little bit, but I genuinely would like, uh, when I, when I push my kids in the stroller to school on the morning, I have to go uphill and it feels like I have the lungs of a six year old now. And, uh, like, this is what I say to people. It's like, just please, you know, like if there's any chance that I pick this up again, and even if I'm immune to it, and then pass it on to someone, I don't want someone else see, going see that, that pain. See, that's that's the thing that people don't get. Everybody talks about, oh, it's not a, the most deadly disease, but it is so infectious that mm. you can pass it. You might not even know that you even have it, and you can pass it along to somebody that can't afford to be able to get it yes and that's the thing because like it just like if, if anyone got it even half as bad as i had it then it's it's like point taken it's i'm just gonna stay in my lane keep a distance stay inside as much as possible what about and, the rest of your family though what did your family catch it i mean if you had it i'm pretty sure the chances are good that they had it uh, yeah, it seems to have bypassed my uh, it bypassed my youngest daughter and my partner. But we had a pretty scary incident with my son, where he it looked like uh, it could have been um, more more than moderate. Man, I'm sorry to hear that. So, but uh, you know, we, we're we're doing the right thing. I've got elderly parents, so you know, we're being quite responsible. We're keeping our distance from them, and. Um, you know, uh, so the difference is right now they've introduced a new tier system here in the UK, 
and uh, so tier one is kind of okay-ish, but be careful. Tier two is where London is right now. Uh, my parents and my sister are in there, and they've basically got uh, stricter stricter rules and restrictions, so they're not allowed to socialise um, as we can. Uh, but uh, you, you're talking about Manchester tonight. Uh, Manchester's just moved, been moved into the stricter tier three, um, uh, which means now that basically effectively the Manchester region will be under its own lockdown and shutdown. So, so I'm, I, it's something that I've been reading a lot more about because, you know, you bring up Manchester. Uh, Marcus Rashford, who is one of our players on Manchester United, one of his biggest things is childhood hunger in the United Kingdom. And, and you would think, you know, because we have it here in the United States, uh, you would think that the United Kingdom is probably one of the top five countries in the whole world. And you would think when you look at a superpower, one of the biggest countries, that you wouldn't have to deal with childhood hunger. But we even deal with it here in the United States. Uh, and the reason that he brings it up is because, you know, a lot of kids aren't going to school right now. They get fed when they go to school. Is it that big of a problem in the United Kingdom? I think, I think we've got a lot of issues which are, are compounding. And I don't mean to get too political. Yeah, no, 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 it's fine. I, I, think, I think it all boils down to the fact that, uh, that we, we may have taken the wrong response in, uh, in the wrong response to the 2008 crash. In yeah. 2010, there was a lot of public sector cuts. There was a lot of uh, scaling back of uh, spending and stuff like that, which was only supposed to be short term, five years at most. And we're still going through this where um, I think I think too many things have been um, cut cut to the bone and maybe a little bit a little bit beyond. And that sort of contributed to some of the overall problems that we're you know we're we're seeing in the UK uh, for sure. And um, yeah, it's it, it's very difficult to sort of pin it down on one thing. But um, I mean, to be honest, we haven't really been a particularly happy country for about 10 years. Uh, we had that brief bright spot with the Olympics. The Olympics were amazing and literally showcased the best the best of this country. Um, yeah. But since then, it's uh, it's it, that polarization has started to creep in, which, you know, just makes it very difficult to get things done or you know, be able to have reason debates or, you know, it's, it's. How much did Brexit, how much did Brexit have to play into the part of the polarization? That, of the that I think is uh, like the, 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 the fuse that it's really ripping through the country right now. That vote was 52, 48. So that shows you almost how down. So the it's like right down the middle, basically. Yeah. 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 Just as, it's just a, swing to the leave side and also then like the i think the the discourse since the referendum has um you know on both sides has been not particularly conducive to any sort of healing as well um so i think i think many opportunities have been missed to actually sort of you know just take a step back but um i i genuinely do worry that some of the uh some of the groups that were stirred up by the approaches of uh, press and um, you know, you know, political groups, 
you know, it's let, it's. I think it's let a genie out of the bottle, and as we all know, they're they're very very difficult to put back in. So now, so we just have to see. Now, now, one last serious question, okay? <laughs> we right now in our country, and then I'll I'll move on to other things. I I'm sorry that I. I really do apologize, but, you know, when I get a chance to talk to somebody from a different country, I like to get and and compare the the cultures with each other. Because when it all comes down to it, we're all just humans, you know, we, even though we have different cultures, but we grow up in different circumstances. We've been dealing with the civil unrest here in the United States with the Black Lives Matter movement and and the police brutality. Um, can you kind of like give me a little bit of an insight that that's something that is a problem or an issue in the United Kingdom? Because I know that they do have a problem with racism in the United Kingdom. Is it, how How is it being dealt with in your country? Uh, big question. Uh, so yes, uh, so we, we have Black Lives Matter too here in the UK. I mean, we, we're just coming off the tail end of uh, the Windrush standard as well, um, which was a very, very shocking chain of events where um, people who are and were or are descended from uh, legal British citizens who were brought here at the end of the Second World War from uh, uh, various various parts of the Commonwealth. Um, they had their uh, landing cards destroyed in 2009 in preparation for the UK government introducing identity cards. Then the next government comes in and cancels that scheme, but the cards were cancelled. And then within about three to four years, because those landing cards didn't exist, and some of these, um, you know, uh, some of these immigrants or descendants or people who came over on Windrush. Um, hadn't got, say, their British passport sorted or had nothing to prove that they were a British citizen beyond a driving licence. Um, you know, they've been deported, they've been sent back to countries they've never lived in. And uh, we just, there was a sudden, um, sudden realisation the government for years have been basically deporting British citizens to, to countries which their descendants, uh, sorry, their, their predecessors were from. Um, so, you know, that, that's, that's been festering for a long while and that still has not been dealt with. Um, so, you know, the, the best, the best, you know, that we can do is we can keep, keep chugging on and we can keep highlighting these injustices and, 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 you know, calling them out where they happen. Uh, unfortunately, we're just, we're just in a very, very heavy sea right now of polarization, which means sometimes that you know something can end up can, you know just cancelling out what you need to be focusing on um which is in it some just, cases these people's lives yeah it just takes one see this this is what i've been trying to tell people here in the united states and i don't know if it's like that in your country is that it's only gonna take because we are so polarized right now it's only gonna take one moment it's gonna take one spark to either make a change for good or a change for bad. There's, you know, where, where, where it just sets people off where it's going to just be an all out anarchy type situation where people are just saying, you know what, screw it. We're burning this thing down. Yeah. 
And I, I think, um, I, don't, I don't think the UK is quite there yet, but it, it, could, it could be in a year from now. But like but you I say, anyway, the you guys had the riots not too long ago where, where it got really bad. Yeah, that was uh, 2011. So, uh, and that, that was a year into all the austerity policy starting. So you imagine 10 years of it now. But like you say, I think, I think that, you know, I'm a firm believer in the, op- in the optimism. I'm a firm believer that, uh, you know, good people are going to keep fighting the good fights. They're going to stand up for the right things. Uh, progress is heading in the right way. Um, and you know, so, so the, these these scandals and these um, institutional problems are getting called out. They are getting uh, exposed, and you know, people people will keep fighting and keep pushing until they're fixed. And All right. Well, listen. I want to move on to bigger and brighter things. So sure. you're writing. You're writing. How important is it for you? to keep the British culture into your writing, your literature and stuff that you write? Oh, okay. So, uh, for, you know, first rule is always serve a story. But I, I think what I'm trying to, like, if you, if, if there's any Britishness in, in what I'm doing, because, you know, I do, I do write content for America, I do write content for other countries. It's, it's about, I think, the, the, the skill and expertise of how we know audio and how we tell audio storytelling and, and bringing that to what we do. The, like the project I've been working on with Dagaz for the last like uh, two years has been about how we can sort of bring the best of the US and the UK together. You know, we've got 90 years of, uh, you know, amazing audio storytelling. There's some extraordinary uh, British uh, audio script writers in this country. And um, for the most part, you know, there are some really great American guys like Casey Whalen. He's brilliant. And uh, Fred Greenhouse and the late Bill DeFries, et cetera. Um, but for the most part, a lot of a lot of U.S. writers right now are quite young and inexperienced or come from, say, television backgrounds or theater backgrounds. And to them, audio is very, very new. And I think that's, so if, if there was anything about British culture I wanted to bring to it, I think it's the experience of how we can tell these stories. Now, one of the things that I've seen, though, is the difference between the um, American and British comedy. You guys like to use a lot of double entendres, you know, like uh, stuff like that. Can you can you better explain the differences when it comes? I don't know if you do a lot of comedic type writing, but can you kind of explain the difference between the humor? Yeah, uh, so I really good breakdown of this recently which is that uh if you want it very very simply uh, american humor tends to be quite uh, optimistic and uplifting in the end despite the obstacles ahead whereas uh british comedy tends to actually be more like greek tragedy um you know as an anglophile uh, do, you, do you know only fools and horses I mean, I, I know. I, I mean, a little bit. I mean, I'm not yeah. too much into the the classical type sure. stuff. But like, like I'll give you an example. Like, I, I've been watching the Great British Bake Off, and mm-hmm. you know, they were talking about um, this woman. She couldn't get her bread to proof right. They couldn't get the bread to raise. And uh, Matt Lucas from Doctor Who was like, maybe if you stroke it, it'll grow some more. And I'm like, that is British humor right there. There's a little bit of innuendo as well. So, yeah, it's it, British humor tends to be a little bit more uh, 
I mean, it's surface level closer to tragedy, but it's the way the characters, I think, uh, the British kind of, uh, the way we deal with that tragedy is with humour. So innuendo is one of our defence mechanisms against uh, a calamity, which is this I, cake is this cake is failing. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, you know, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll you know I'll, I'll, I'll stick one in there and see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, an yeah, innuendo. I mean, I'll stick an innuendo in there. Yes, what yeah. I mean. um, so you know what I mean. It's it's uh, for for the, for the British. It's a self a self defense mechanism because I, I think um, not 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 we're inherently pessimistic, but uh, uh, I think I think we uh, the British respond to uh, tragedy uh, better than kind of sunny, sunny optimism. You know, we used to have oh. a joke in the 80s that, uh, you know, we, we couldn't get our heads around, uh, uh, you know, um, go to an American shop and someone says, have a nice day. Try that, try that in the UK, see what happens. Oh, well, <laughs> well, a lot of people don't realize that, I mean, do you guys still live by the motto, uh, keep calm, carry on type thing, where you, even though how bad things are, you keep your head down and you keep marching forward. Is the, is that how the Brits look at things? I'd say to a degree, it's quite true. But I think I think uh, there's a, there's a it, you know the calmness is now like that little duck, where you, oh, you know, no, it looks it no, looks calm no. on the surface, but it's all like this underneath. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people don't get that because you know when you look at a duck, everything above the water is nice and calm but their feet are pedaling at a million miles an hour underneath the surface yeah for sure for sure and i, I think um we'll, we'll see what uh, the winter brings but uh, what, what we normally do is uh, about every 40 years we sort of just go uh, and then we, we start again and it, it, it'll be fine for you know the next 40 years so uh touch wood we're reaching the end of this current 40 year cycle so we'll see what happens next Hey, Jack, tell people, Jack Bowman, go to his website, jackbowman.net. Tell everybody else about your newest work. Where can they find it at and where can they find out more about you? Uh, well, my latest series is called Circles, which is a horror uh, scripted podcast series about uh, friends forced to step inside a chalk circle because they're being hunted by a demon which they fought uh, 15 years previously as, as uh, teenagers. Uh, it was pitched to me. So by, kind of like, kind of like it almost a little bit, like a, li a little bit. A little I, bit no, of I'm it. not saying you ripped yeah. off it, but if I, I'm just trying to compare things to my audience here, no, you know, Stephen King wrote that, but I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in, in reading your take on it because I mean, that movie just came out, they released it back to back and it was pretty popular here. So yeah. I would like to see your take on it as well. I, I haven't, I haven't seen the It movies yet, which is insane because I'm a massive Jessica Chastain fan. But um, so, yeah, so this was pitched to me uh, like about Two weeks into lockdown, I um, had a writer I've been working with on another script called Brendan Connolly, and he pitched me this idea, and he said, it's about uh, these friends, they're all being hunted by a demon, but they've all got to stay in a circle, and they can only communicate by phone. And instantly in my head, I went, I know how that's going to sound. So I went, okay, fine, did it. He went and, he went and built a writer's room, uh, working with uh, two other writers, and they were knocking out the script. So I know he's a good writer, so we just trust him. What I then had to do was having uh, no, no access to studios, actors, or even being able to leave my apartment, uh, was to spend those two weeks while they were writing the scripts, um, working out how to make it. 
So I was putting in phone calls and I was speaking to other audio specialists and we basically built a form of production where uh, how, can, 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 I, can, I ask, how, can I ask how important it is to find the right sounding voice when, when you're trying to produce one of these? Do you have a voice in mind? You know, here in the United States, we have different accents. Mm -hmm. Is there different accents from parts of the country? You know, I know, you know, like Wales is definitely going to have a different type of accent. Sure. Is South England going to sound different than North England? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the thing with Circles, which I'm really chuffed with, is the fact that it's actually a global cast. We've got an actor in Florida, one in California. Uh, oh, that, that does sound weird. Like, I, I, how does the Southern accent here in the United States, like, sound to you guys over in the UK? Does it, does it, does it, does it does, do we sound dumb as hell? Because I think, you know, people would say we sound dumb. If you, if you said to me Southern American, we'd probably reach for something like Texan. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Texan or, uh, or Georgian. Or, is, is Georgia in the South? Yeah, Georgia's yeah. in the South. Yeah. Sorry, I'm not up on my U.S. state yet. Um, uh, you know, I will probably associate what we call, we, we have an accent which is like general American, uh, which we probably more associate with, say, something like New York, but not, not Bronxy or, or, or Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, just say, you know, here, a general American guy. And then, you know, you know uh, we would say like a Californian accent is very Valley girl. Because, you know, but I think it's, it's, you've got to bear in mind, our, the way we perceive your accents comes from the culture we receive. So we would have got, I think, a lot of a lot of productions from New York. We would have got a lot of productions from Los Angeles, and we got a lot of production set in the kind of southern states. We wouldn't necessarily now, get can, a lot Orlando-based, you know. Yeah, can can you explain though what the Cockney accent is? So, everybody, from what I've learned and what I've heard is that the Cockney accent is kind of like the southern white trash of the United Kingdom, like it's here in the United States. Oh, quite. So it's because uh, my mother is a Cockney and my son is a Cockney. Oh, uh, yeah, I, I, I hope I, listen, um, I would be considered Cockney here in the United States. So, so there's no, there's no like misinterpreting that I'm uh, insulting anybody at all. No so uh, no, uh, to, to be a Cockney is actually to be uh, geographical. So you have to be born within the sound of the bow bells. Uh, which is a church in the east of London. So it's very, very particular. So you wouldn't even be a, a Cockney if you came from the west of London or the south of London. You would have to be born in, within the vicinity of the sound of that particular church bell ringing. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a very particular breed of uh, East London, very, very uh, tribalised part of East London. And um, like I say, my... my my mum's got me. My son was born in a hospital, which makes it... Uh, sh the bells don't ring anymore, that's what to say, but they know the radius of the bells. Uh, that gives rise to Dick Whittington, which was the pantomime I was in. Look at that, full circle. Um, <laughs> so, um, yes, so that, that, that's, that's, that's what makes you a company. It's the geographical location of your birth in relation to one church. Well, Jack, man, Jack, I could sit here and talk to you for hours. I mean, we've already talked for about 45 minutes so far, but I, I definitely want to have you on again. Sure. Uh, to be able to promote all of your stuff as well as kind of check in with you because I, I'm i very interested in the British culture. You know, mm -hmm. um, 
I, I've gone back and, and, you know, there is such a connection and there always will be a connection between the United Kingdom and the United States, even though we are our greatest, like, allies in the whole wide world. Like, we're always going to stand together. But when you look at the basis of it is that the United States was kind of like traitors to the, to the British empire yeah. at one point but we ended up turning out to be the greatest allies of each other you know uh, yeah. every time you, you see queen elizabeth do her jubilee speech or whatever they, one of the first things they talk about is the relationship between the united states and the united kingdom um yeah. and i think i think that the brits and, and the and the american people are always going to have that type of brethren um with each other in my opinion maybe, maybe i could be wrong yeah, and uh, you know, it's a, you know, we, we, there's there's some jokes like uh, you know, we're, we're two countries divided by a common language, or uh, you, you know, America's never going to let us off for eighteen twelve, <laughs> you know, yeah. you're never going to let us forget that one. Um, but you know, yeah, I mean, like I genuinely think that we are we are stronger when we stand together, and and weirdly, now you put it like that, I didn't realize that you know, kind of what I've been doing for the last two years with. You know, working with people like Fred is like saying, "Hey, let's bring the best of UK audio talent to the best of US audio talent." And, you know, we can make some great stuff together. Um, and I think, I think, I think that's true. You know, when when we actually buckle down as two countries, you know, we 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 get stuff done. I nearly use another word there, but uh, you know, we get stuff done, and um, you know, it's a it's a bond that's not going to go away. And you know. Americans, every time I've been to the States, you know, you are incredibly kind and generous and always impressed by the accents. Over here, I do not have a particular <laughs> or likable accent, but over there, uh, you love it. Um, you know, so... It's, that Love Actually movie, do you remember the movie Love Actually? Yeah. I mean, that was one of my ex-wife's favorite, like, romantic comedies, but remember the guy that was coming over, he was like, Dude, the ladies in America will love you if you come over with a British accent. Like you, you, you're you're gonna have to beat the women off of you when you come over to the states with a British accent. Yeah, that, that didn't go quite that far, but uh, <laughs> yes, uh, but you know, like um, everyone's kind of uh, genuinely like. Was, uh, did, did you did you go to Podfest in March in in Orlando? Yes, yes, I did. Yes. Okay, so I, I was actually over there as a speaker. I was asked to come over and do no some kidding. talk. No, yeah. Um, Did you go to Universal? Like one of the first, the, the most popular things is the Harry Potter like world, and they've even built onto it to the other park. And they got the uh, they got the uh, hogs hog. I don't even know, but the the train going in between both uh, uh, parks now. No, I didn't. You know, I really, I actually didn't realize I ended up with the spare day and I didn't plan the end of the trip very well. And I could have gone to a theme park because it wasn't that far from, from any of them. Um, damn it. I, I, I think it was on iDrive, right? Yeah. And I, I you know, but I, I, you know, I came to Florida twice as a kid. Um, so I did Universal, I did Disney World, and Back to the Future ride was just like the best thing in the world ever. Not there anymore. No, you became uh, Jurassic. The Simpsons. It's the Simpsons. It's the Simpsons right now. Yeah, great. But um, they still they they still have like a little Easter egg though. When you go on the Simpsons ride, they they actually yeah. do a like uh, 
a shout out to uh, the Back to the Future ride. Oh, amazing. Amazing. I actually, like one of the weird things about going back to Florida this year, apart from the fact no one believes I, I flew to the US twice in 2020, is that um, the last time I was in Florida, I saw a space shuttle take off. And I think it might have been Columbia. And yes. when, I land, when I landed in Orlando, uh, there was a NASA shop and I went, you know what, I'm really gutted. I, don't, I suddenly realized I don't think I'd ever see a, a spaceship ever again. And the first night of Podfest, uh, Pod, Pod it was a space, SpaceX rocket that was, was launched. So yeah. it, it's weird. You know, the three times I've been to Florida, the last two, I've seen rockets. I mean, for you, it's probably like every, every week. But uh, coming from the UK, it's like, oh, a spaceship. Man, I can, I can, I can walk out to the, here, I'll show you where I'm at right now here. Hold on. Let me give you a little taste here. Let me uh, turn it around here. So I'm right on the water here. I'm you. There we go. All right. So, so you can see it down there. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know how to zoom in, but you can see the big vehicle assembly building where they, um, hold on. Let me, let me go ahead and turn it around again, but you can see it way down there. So I'm less. Oh, yes, 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 yes. I can see it. I can see it. Yeah, yeah. So I'm less than like 20 miles away from uh, Cape Canaveral, where they uh, shoot off all the rockets. So yeah. No, it was it was like a really cool thing because I like literally ran out in front of the uh, Podfest hotel and uh, like just filmed it and like uh, through the power of the internet just sent it straight home to my son. A little, little, yeah. little commentary going. Look, that's a space rocket taking off. <laughs> So, so Brad, um, once, once again, before I let you go, tell everybody how they can find you and check out your material. Uh, if you go to my website, jackbowman.net, uh, you can find links to some of the things I've done, things like Dead London, uh, Spring Hill Saga, and the new series Circles. Circles is available on Spotify, Apple, all the usual podcast providers. And uh, you can find that on Twitter if you look for Here Circles. So. Hey. Um, Jack, if you ever come to Florida again, man, you have to look me up. I would love to meet you in person. Oh, that'd be amazing. Because uh, if nothing else, I need to and, and I'll, this time. And I don't know if you like to fish or enjoy the outdoors. I'll take you out on the boat. We can hang out or do whatever. That'd be amazing. That'd How about this? I, I, see, I don't drink anymore, but um, I, um, I see you're drinking the wine. If you'd like some good old Southern uh, uh, hospitality moonshine. I might be able to like work some up for you if you'd like to try some out. I well, I, I drink a lot of Polish moonshine, so uh, that's absolutely fine with me. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, Jack, I, I I extremely enjoyed our conversation, man, and I want to have you on again, dude. Sure. You are you are an amazing person, and and I appreciate your time. No, no, at all. Thank you for having me. And like, it's nice to see Florida again. So looking behind you right now. So, but yeah, please, please take but care. But I'm serious, man. So, yeah, I'm serious. You better, you better let me know. I'll come pick you up and 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 show you the real Florida when you come. Amazing, amazing. That'd be brilliant. Thank you. So take take care of yourself. All right, man. Have a wonderful, have a wonderful day. Okay. You too. Take care now. Bye bye. For today. Thanks for listening to the Tuttle Daily Podcast. Hey, don't be a dickhead. Do us a favor. Like, share, and subscribe to the show. Also, check out the Tuttle category at 315live.com. The Tuttle Daily Podcast is brought to you by the Vapor Shades Hobo Fish Camp.
You want some cool-ass sunglasses? Check out Vaporshades.com. Also brought to you by StitchYouUp.com, PocketPairClub.com. Special thanks to show intern Hannah and Charlie Lamo for their contributions. Additional imaging and production is provided by CCA Productions. Facebook.com slash CCA Productions presents. Show voiceover service is brought to you by jcvoiceover.com. That guy's got a damn sexy voice. You should hire him. Check out jcvoiceover.com. If you want to help support the show, go to paypal.me slash Tuttle on the radio. Comments? Concerns? Or do you just want to let Tuttle know he's being a dickhead? Tuttle at gmail.com. That's Tuttle with two Ds at gmail.com. To follow all of Tuttle's social media, go to Tuttle.net. Thanks again for all your support, and we'll see you tomorrow on the Tuttle Daily Podcast. Hey, yo, Terry, fuck going on?